the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Uh, if you're like me, you're a thank God it's Friday kind of guy and a thank God it's Monday kind of guy. You're looking forward to the weekend, but you're also looking forward to getting back at it on Mondays. And mine are made all the sweeter every Monday by being joined by the fantastic Brandon Weicker, Brandon J. Weicker. He is the author of several books, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, and the brand new one, The Shadow War, Ron's Quest for Supremacy, about to be shipped. You can pre-order it online right now. He has a third one in the offing. We'll hold off talking about that brandon <laughs> my gosh columnist at the washington times asia times american greatness i could go on and on but let me just ask how you doing down there buddy oh i'm okay how are you i'm doing just fine i'm doing just fine i Good. um i want to do a little bit of uh a little bit of world politics with you and foreign yeah. relations but if it's okay with you, because you, whenever we open up on domestic policy, people love that as well, and you, you're really good. Yeah. And you had a really good um, review of a mutual acquaintance or friend of ours in F.H. Buckley's book, so I thought maybe yeah. we could talk about that, too, if that's okay. That's fine with me, yeah. That, uh, your review, if I'm not mistaken, just uh, came out last week in the Washington yeah, Times. Yeah, on Friday. Yeah. Yes. You and yes. I were both in the Washington Times last week. Nice to yes. be in your company. Yes, thank we you were. For, yes. Yeah, thank yes. you for that. Likewise. You bet. Yeah. All right, brother. Let's start with, uh, well, let's start with the cause of your most recent book, Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. Um, the news I have in front of me today, the big news everyone's talking about, is Iran is going to continue to keep the IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency's cameras uh, blacked out, turned off, uh, kind of holding it as a threat against the West. We're going to keep we're not going to allow any kind of surveillance or inspection of our nuclear program until there's a deal. So if we even get to a deal, I read it, Brandon, right. you fix me. Even if we get to a deal, you're just going to have to take our word for it as to where we are right now because we're not going to show you. Usually in common sense world, Brandon, usually the person hiding something is hiding it for a reason. Right. Right. It's, yes. And uh, it's, it's a disaster. I mean, this is this is the kind of idiotic deal-making that you would think would be confined to a comedy like Veep. Uh, but here we have the actual president of the United States desperately clamoring at all costs uh, to get a deal uh, with Iran that will hand nuclear weapons, allow for them to get nuclear weapons, and uh, will basically hand the region over to a nuclear-arming Iran. Uh, and if this isn't yet another warning of what's going of, of their malintention i don't know what is and the problem is nobody in, in washington is really paying attention or much care the thing is there's a real conceit here and i, I don't know maybe this is just infecting all of washington right now maybe there's an invasion mm -hmm. of the body snatches brandon <laughs> because the conceit <laughs> i mean you think about it oh, they, need, they want to project <laughs> strength so they put right. the enfeebled joe biden on camera today and he sounds like 
enfeebled when he wasn't yeah. feeble when he was when he wasn't strong on his best days. I mean, right. you just right. you wonder if these people what direction their head is pointed. But on this one, on this notion itself, we are trying to strike a deal with a country that requires at a minimum requires transparency. But they going into the deal are telling us we will be at best non-transparent and we're supposed right. to accept this. And I don't it's it's the old bad and one bad at all. Malo and Uno, Malo and Toto. And and, and I don't understand what kind of thinking dominates here. Right. Right. Well, the, the thinking is they're trying to hold everything together uh, because they know on the domestic front they are getting shellacked. Uh, and yet they still have to project some semblance of order and power. Um, and at the same time, the powers that be in the Biden administration and the Democratic Party, they have got to um, continue pressing ahead with their party objectives, which has always been, going back to Jimmy Carter, to normalize uh, relations with the Islamist regime in Iran. And they will do whatever they have to, no matter which Democrats in power. They will do whatever they have to to ensure that they can do that. And I think that's why we're seeing this sort of schizophrenic approach, because they know they're saddled with this horribly weak, physically weak, old, doddering president. And yet they need him, because he's the guy in power, they need him out there Sending out this message that we'll have a leader and that and that 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 leader is going to do what what the Democrats want him to do, which is to do these deals. Um, they're going to p- push him ahead, no matter how weak and pathetic he looks. That's what they have to do. That's what they need. Is they need that guy to be their voice, no matter how weak, because they know he's going to be the one that's pressing ahead with. Things like the Iran nuclear deal, which, again, is a disaster in waiting for us. You know, I'm going to interview in the next hour. You may or may not know this person. I do not. It'll be my first interview of him, uh, Jason Greenblatt, who was part of the Trump. Oh, yeah. yeah, you know Jason. Okay. I'm I gonna, don't know He him, has a new book out on the Abraham Accords. And yeah. uh, what he says in this book is kind of interesting because we have a lot of bad actors in the Middle East, right? I mean, let's just right. face it. The Middle East is not the Middle West, as Moshe Aaron's right. once put it. And, you know, we have engaged an actor who throughout the early part of the 2000s, the early aughts, if you will, you know, every conference I went to in D.C. that was foreign policy related in those days, Brandon, I'm not sure if you were there in those days or not, but every conference was about the dangers of Saudi Arabia after 9-11. And there was, uh, you name the think tank, they were doing conferences on it. And yet here we are engaging in deals with them. The, 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 The book Jason writes is, yeah, well, Saudi Arabia changed. Iran yeah. has not. It's, if anything, right. hardened. Not worse. So, I mean, you right. know, we can have an argument about engagement right. with regimes that aren't pleasant or worse. Well, but yeah, Iran has told us what they have. Uh, Saudi Arabia is an enigma. Iran isn't right. because they tell us very explicitly well, what Saudi their intentions Arabia are. Saudi Arabia isn't an enigma, though, because what happened was Saudi Arabia, the government, on some level, was at the very least looking the other way on Islamist terrorism from the Grand Mosque seizure in 1979 until 2003. And then in 2003, al-Qaeda broke the implicit deal that the House of Saud had maintained with the Islamists, which is that the House of Saud will take all that oil money they make 
and give some of it to the radicals as long as the radicals do not spend money on waging jihad. That was the deal. The that kingdom. was the deal, right. In the king- and then what happened was in 03, al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula broke that deal and they started killing everything in sight. And what happened was Saudi uh, counterterrorism went into high gear and it was a complete switch from what we had before. And there's a wonderful book I've talked to you about it before, called, I think it's called Path to Blood or Path of Blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's all about what was going on from 2003 to 2005 in the kingdom, how basically it was a complete reversal of decades of policy toward al-Qaeda and Islamism because al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula broke the agreement. And at that moment, Saudi Arabia really became an actual very strong ally of the United States, of the West, of Israel, in the ongoing war on terror. And so they are now fully on board with us. And, of course, now we have a president in Biden who is not on board with them and is doing everything he can to humiliate and weaken the pro-American leadership in Riyadh and to empower the anti-American leadership in Tehran, that's right. Iran. That's right. And that's why I say I don't know what, 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 what's going on here. It's, it's like we're living in the invasion of the body snatchers. And I, I well, take Marxism. It, I said this before. It's Marxism. Yeah. It's, this is radical left-wing ideology on steroids. You know, you've got the Democrats believing that we deserve to lose the Middle East because oil's messy and nasty. Right. And look, right. At, look at what we, look at all the sins we committed throughout the Cold War in the Middle East. And then look even wider, go back to the British and the French and the, the, the Westerners, what they did in the Middle East. We don't deserve to have any, we should be punished. Not only should we lose access, but we should be punished because we're evil imperialists representing the evil imperialistic capitalistic West. That's what this all cuts back to. And when you look at going back, you know, in my book, I detailed, as you know, Jimmy Carter turned the other way and let the Ayatollah Khomeini and his cadre fly back to Iran after the Shah abdicated because Khomeini was sending these flowery love letters to Carter saying, I'm not what you think I That's am. Right. I'm the only... And Carter bought it. I know, and, and Carter, he had an amen corner at Princeton University that's too. Right. Let, let that's me right. let me take a quick yeah. break and come back on this, and then talk to you about our speaker's trip to Taiwan, if we can talk a little yes. bit about that too. Yes, and then we'll get to the domestic debate over conservatism in America. I'm Seth. He's Brandon Weikert. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. The great Brandon J. Weikert is our guest author columnist, you name it. His um, current book, of course, is uh, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. Soon they will be shipping his next book, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. You can order it now on Amazon. And then the topic I want to turn to, his third book, Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life, which will be out next year. Brandon, thank you for uh, writing all that, but thank you also for being with us and willing to talk through it well, all. Thank you for having you me betcha. talk about all You that. betcha. <laughs> uh, there is uh, some news with China. There is every day, I suppose, but now it's mm-hmm. about Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. Let me say preliminarily, in the, in the world of having uh, a hard time finding a good thing to say about someone, right. years ago, years ago, 15, 20, 30, 
I remember being interested in the fact that Nancy Pelosi seemed in those days to give a damn about human rights in China. She did once yeah. upon a time seem to be that person. Um, she has changed a bit, but maybe she's going a little bit into back to that type. She's trying to do a visit that China's against. Who's going to win here? Yeah, well, not only is, is China against, but um, her own Democratic Party leadership there you is go. against. There you go. Um, and I haven't really seen many Republican leaders saying, hey, uh, this is a good thing she wants to do. I saw Newt Gingrich. I was going to say, I heard you know, Newt Gingrich. So, that's about it. But, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm saying in terms of actual elected leaders, this to me is a great opportunity for some real bipartisanship, um, you know, which, you know, given the issues of our day is very hard to come by. Um, but it, there's nobody really saying this. And I'm just going to say this. I, I don't trust Nancy Pelosi and I don't agree with her on almost anything. Um, but I do think on, on this issue, um, she's right. Now, she might be doing it at the wrong time. Um, you know, this country is picking fights with pretty much, you know, the two big bad guys in the world, and our military is unfortunately at its probably weakest point it's been at in decades. As is American um, moral authority and credibility. That's right, and especially with this president. Right. I, mean, I don't know, you know, so um, this maybe isn't the best time to do this, but... Um, you know, she's generally, she's correct, and it's very strange to me looking at all the people who are either overtly opposing this within her own party or the Republican elected leaders who are kind of staying mum about this. We should all be saying, hey, she's the third most powerful person in the U.S. government, and the U.S. government since the 1970s has maintained that it is in an alliance, a defensive alliance with Taiwan, uh, so why don't we do something like this and really send a signal to China that regardless of what their attitudes on the subject are, that Taiwan is an independent country and that we are going to respect our decades-long commitment to that independent country. It's very strange to me that the, you know, the moral, uh, you know, the, 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 one of the least moral people I can think of, Nancy Pelosi, is the one leading this moral crusade. Now, maybe we should all be asking, what's her game here? Um, But on the surface of it, I I really can't see many things wrong with this, and I would just love to see more American leaders kind of say this is a good thing she's doing and maybe support her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you on this. Let's just, you know, take her at face value on this issue for a moment because she has a little money in the bank on it, as I said. She has a little money in the bank on this issue. A little, not much. It's dwindled, but she has some. You know, and it would be great if Kevin McCarthy then was like, hey, I'll hop on the plane with you. We can all go. It'd be great, too, if uh, maybe... uh, you know, former President Trump uh, and maybe even current President Biden. <laughs> All right. Pops now now, now you're going to ruin the point I was about to make. <laughs> All right. Let's keep it with Nancy for a second. And maybe yeah. if you want to be generous, throw McCarthy in there, too. Because the point I was going to make is the next level of analysis, maybe you can respond on the other side of this break. i got to take yeah. one here. I'll just plant this with you for a second. You know, if she were to have gone or if she were to have gone with McCarthy, it probably wouldn't make that much news, quite honestly. It probably wouldn't. But this is seeming to make a big. Why is China wanting to make a story of it? My point, my guess, my question for you 
is they're trying to test us yet again. They're trying to test the resolve of the commander in chief of the U.S. Armed Forces. That's my guess. And I wonder yeah. if you might address yourself to that when we come right back. Is that yeah. OK? If that doesn't if that didn't come off too unclearly. My point is this didn't have to be a story. We certainly weren't making it a story. Certainly it wasn't in our interest to make it a story. But China wanted to make it a story. Question why? Brandon will tell us when we come right back. No, I have time. Oh, good. Sorry, my clock was off. Brandon, take it away. Run. (laughs) Run, Brandon, run. My bad. (laughs) All all I'll say is that uh, in December of last year, uh, a Russian intelligence analyst leaked to the private intelligence firm Bellingcat, and it was then sent over to Newsweek uh, that the Xi Jinping, the president of China, explicitly told Vladimir Putin that he planned on invading Taiwan no later than fall of 2022. And so if you were to ask me, that timetable remains on, on the table. Uh, and this is actually why the Russians invaded, one of the reasons they invaded Ukraine when they did, because they knew that eventually, shortly after their invasion, the Chinese were going to hit Taiwan and stretch the American uh, military to its breaking point. You'll have Russia invading Ukraine, and then you'll have uh, China making a play for Taiwan. So in my opinion, this whole thing with Pelosi is yet another excuse for China to use to say in September or October or November of this year, this is why we had to invade Taiwan, because the Americans were making a play for it, and we have to go in and, and save our territory. And I think that this is going to be used as a pretext uh, to justify uh, that which China was planning to do over a year ago, which was to invade uh, Taiwan, because I think that they know that Biden is weak and mealy-mouthed and pathetic, and his administration is as well. And it's very pathetic even more when you think that Nancy Pelosi is the only one in the Democratic Party's leadership who has the backbone to try to challenge the communist Chinese. That's really shocking when you think about it. It is. It is. And it's shocking the lack of what I perceive in Phoenix, Brandon, the lack of the army she has behind her that she's going to war with. Because, right. I, uh, to repeat what I said earlier, it seems like um, American leadership and strength and moral authority has never been at a lower nadir than it is right now, perhaps right. maybe since the fall of Saigon. I'm not sure. That's right. That's right. You're right. You're right. And it's scary. It's, because, it's in other words, she's setting herself up to fail in a way. I think. Well, it, it is. And, you know, what? the only issue with that is she is the third most powerful person in right. the federal government. And it's a bad symbol for the whole country if if our number three ends up getting, you know, her nose rubbed in yeah. dog crap. Yeah. Um, which is why I said at the beginning, I think it's it's a moral thing that she's doing, but I don't know if the timing is the right. best. Right. Um, but, you know, here we are because we're led by, you know, not very smart people. So, no, not very smart, smart, not very potent. Um, let let me uh, let me turn back to that uh, and, and go into some domestic stuff with you. If I can, when we come back, you yeah. wrote a really good book review. You know, you know, you know this, Brandon, you're in this world. You're an author and a book reviewer at the same time. Um, a good book review can be as good as a book. You know, that's why there are entire magazines dedicated to book reviews, Claremont being one of them, right? A good book review. (laughs) And you wrote one. I'm just trying to give you a call. You you wrote one. So let's go into it when we come right back. I'll be right back. (laughs) 
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Cool Touch Air Conditioning, Heating, and Plumbing. Love that company. Give them a call at 623-748-4942 for any air conditioning plumbing needs. 623-748-4942 or check them out at cooltouch.com. U.S. Fantastic company. Used them for years, as have my friends, Chris Funk and the team. It's just different there. And by different, I mean better. Cool touch, air conditioning, heating and plumbing. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. And you had a uh, piece in The Washington Times, Brandon, which was, as we were saying, a book review of a mutual friend or acquaintance of ours, uh, Professor Buckley, F.H. Buckley. His book is Progressive Conservatism, How Republicans Will Become America's Natural governing party the first thing he probably tires of doing and we probably should do is point out this is no relation to william buckley he is a scholar in his own right uh i believe from canada originally yes and uh now is he at george mason law something like that yeah 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 tell us about the thesis of his book then we'll get into what you say about it so um you know the first thing i like to start off by saying is as, as don rumsfeld used to say i don't do book reviews but in this case um, you know, I felt that I, I Frank had, or, or F.H. Buckley has been so um, uh, good to me throughout my public career as a writer that I, I really, I, first off, enjoy his work. Uh, I really wanted to help him any way I could. Uh, this book in particular is sort of the culmination uh, of the last four or five books he's written. Um, you can kind of see sort of that beginning, middle, and end. And yeah. the thesis is... The, the, the thesis is this, is that despite the term progressive conservatism, uh, it is uh, the direction that we as a movement need to go. That basically Trump battened down the doors to make sure that this new form of conservatism, uh, which is really more of a kind of an older form of conservatism that Lincoln championed, Teddy Roosevelt championed, Eisenhower championed, uh, that this new form of conservatism uh, would basically uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, make, uh, take the Make America Great Again uh, ethos and apply it to more than just Donald Trump. So that whether Trump was reelected or not, um, this would outlast and this would be a real movement. And that by taking issues that are important to America, uh, like issues on, you know, uh, uh, the, the social safety net, right? and not necessarily taking the orthodox conservative view, but also not taking the uh, radical left-wing view, that we could, as Trump did in 2016, sort of cleave those issues away and bring rationality to the conversation. Um, and so the, when you, the, the book review is sort of uh, a bird's eye view, obviously, of the book. Uh, he talks about foreign policy in the book. He talks about economic policy. But what I really honed in on was Buckley, as a, he was one of the earliest uh, advisors to Donald Trump in 2016. He was the lead speech writer for the APAC, if I remember correctly, it was the APAC speech. Uh, he was also, he helped us put uh, together intellectuals for Trump, as I recall, too. Yes, that's correct. That was him. Uh, and so Michael Anton, he, he was affiliated with Anton and them, uh, the Claremont people. So Buckley's conservative bona fides are, are, are real. Uh, and as he says in the book, don't let the term progressive conservatism confuse you. Um, he's not advocating for the embrace of leftism. 
Uh, but what he's saying is that we need to take in a more forward-looking approach. We can't always be locking ourselves in the past. We can't constantly be relitigating the, the past. We have to be pressing ahead. And here are a set of ideas um, that allow for us to press ahead. And we need to find candidates who will embrace those ideas and who will transcend the uh, sort of allure of bitterness and the allure of looking back. We need to be looking forward now uh, and enticing people. Donald Trump in 2020 won the most amount of minority votes of any Republican in the last, I think, 50 years. Right. He brought people into the party in his four years who ordinarily would have never been conservatives or let alone Republican voters. So, uh, you know, what Buckley's saying is we need to be looking at why that happened, how that happened, scaling that up and replicating it, not just for Trump, but for all of the candidates going forward in our party, because that's the way. That it's the, the future of governing really naturally should reside in the Republican Party. Hold that um, thought. So, Hold that thought yeah. real quick. I want to pick up on that. This is such a pregnant point. I want to talk about that. And I want to talk about this notion of progressivism. And I want to talk about the divide between those who call themselves progressives and those who truly are progressive. We'll do it all with Brandon J. Weikert when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leaps and Show, portions of which are brought to you by Balance of Nature. I take it every single day. Best product I've ever taken. All natural, 100% to the cap- from the capsules to the ingredient. The capsules can be opened up easily. They're designed that way for those that don't like swallowing capsules, but they're easily swallowable capsules, normal capsules like anything else. But they did design it that way. You get a f- blend of 15, uh, 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables in one daily dose. You boost your immunity your health and your energy, and it does not take weeks to know whether it's working. You'll know right away within a couple few days at most because you're putting all those fruits and veggies in your system. Fantastic product. Best I've ever taken. Balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Brandon J. Weicker is our guest, columnist, author, and uh, uh, and uh, foreign policy and domestic policy uh, uh, thinker, Brandon, we're talking about this book on uh, uh, by by uh, Frank Buckley, F. H. Buckley, that you reviewed for the Washington Times called Progressive Conservatism. And before much further uh, discussion, maybe you know we need to think about how the word progressive has been used and misused exactly. in the sense that exactly. you know whenever you go to a conference or a talk and someone talks about. Democrats in other countries or people seeking liberty or democracy, they'll always say Democrats, small d. They always say that, right? right. Democrats, small right. d. Maybe we need to talk about progressives, small p. Right. Because inherently right. the movement is awful, but inherently progressivism, you know, I always like to think of C.S. Lewis, who said progress, when you're on the wrong track, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right, right road, and the guy who does it first is the most progressive. That's, that's that's right. How, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and so you know, Frank, uh, he lays out a, a pretty explicit case for what he means. Um, uh, you know, things the, the the left like so much they have co opted these terms and they've really slyly done it because who among us isn't for progress? Right. Right. Like right. like who's Who's regressive or retrograde? Right. Right? <laughs> right, you know, nobody, nobody's for that. Right. And so the, the case that he makes in the book is that, you know, there, there, there is. We need to. What he really takes aim at in the Republican Party 
Uh, he, you know, attacks the Democrats a lot, rightly so. But his big issue with the GOP is that we've really allowed libertarianism to really sort of dominate the party to the point that we have had candidates and at times presidents in the past, who in the recent past, who have um, uh, basically divorced or disassociated um, the conservative movement from love of country. Yeah. Or at least that was the, the, the image that a majority of Americans had. It was very easy for the left, for instance, to say that because Paul Ryan wanted to reform Social Security, it's just more proof that the Republicans wanted to throw Grandma off the, the cliff. Right. And most people believed that. Yep. And so the argument is that, uh, you know, we, we really need to start making pro-human, uh, pro-human policies, not allowing ourselves to be dominated and dictated by the most extreme radical ideologies in our movement and instead being more sort of amenable to other ideas that libertarianism says we don't need or want. And it's something that I like to remind people uh, who, you know, love Ayn Rand, who was kind of this godfather, for lack of a better term, godmother of uh, libertarianism. Fountainhead, that, one, one might say. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> is that, you know, it's... As interesting as she was at times in certain issues, she did die on welfare. Yeah. Uh, you know, she, she was not, the, she didn't live by what she preached. And so what Frank and others would say is the Republicans can't be so wedded to her interpretation of things that we end up losing most voters. We've, and that's what made Trump so great in 2016 was that he was willing to say, I'm not going to kill your, your welfare or your social security. I'm going to go in and I'm going to manage it better. Right. And that was the key thing. Remember, in Iowa in 2016, he was the only Republican who wouldn't take the ethanol pledge. That's or, right. Or wouldn't take the pledge basically saying that he, he wouldn't support ethanol. Every other Republican said, that's right, we're not going to do it if I'm elected. Trump said, no, you're farmers. I have to protect my farmers. That's what Frank's talking about. Is that and that's what Reagan approach. learned in the 1970s. Exactly. Reagan in the exactly. 70s tried to do Social Security. And he learned the lesson. He said, okay, we don't touch the New Deal. We touch the Great Society. We're going after the Great Society, not the New Deal. And it's even difficult to talk about it, you know, because it's like, I don't want people to take away that I'm saying that we need to abandon conservatism, but that's not what what they're saying at all. And so it's it's just, I think we're in new territory as a movement. And I actually give Trump a lot of credit. That's the most important point. That's the most trenchant point is that Trump saw in 2016, for those that were surprised by his win, he saw something the elites missed because he talked to the things that they cared about. We've got that now. We're we're dealing with it now with the drug thing and the crime thing and the border problem. And the elites are thumbing their noses thinking it doesn't matter. And damn it, the, the next Republican who grabs these mantles and runs with them, including the sexualization and re-racialization right. of our children in our society. And maybe that is a fight between Trump and DeSantis. But damn it, great. Let that be the grounds on right. which we fight. Right. Well, and I think that the, you're already seeing Buckley's thesis at play, because it's now not only Trump who's talking about this on the right. That's right. You now have dozens of up-and-coming young yep. candidates, notably Ron DeSantis, who's not only talking about it, 
but are actually applying it. There's throughput here. How often did Republican leaders, when they would talk about issues that most Americans cared about, if it didn't conform to the libertarian ideology, they just sort of ignored it in terms of the application. We have people like DeSantis. We have people around the country, Glenn Youngkin in, in Virginia, people who are now taking the ideas of Trump as progressive conservatism, and they're applying it. And that's what we need. Yeah, and I think I think we are a movement that is ready for this. Um, right. I think we saw some divisions over it uh, with the Trump presidency, perhaps even the election and re-election. But my gosh, if you look at the popularity of our national leaders or the most popular of our national leaders, whether it's Trump or whether it's DeSantis or right. even in some cases maybe some of the others like Christy Noem, uh, who are who are making a breakthrough? It's because they are addressing themselves to these things, and whatever that myth or notion of the country club Republican is, it's not a myth. It's there. It's much diminished from what it used to be because I think Trump cleaned out the Augean stables on this. And if you want to win, you have to talk about what the people on the ground care about, right. and not what the people in Washington D.C. who are being paid by lobbyists care That's about. That's right. Not what the special interests That's want. Right. And I think the big problem with our party is, for a long time, the special interests have controlled us, and through their money, they have really helped to make sure that the people who were most extreme in terms of the libertarian ethos, were getting elevated over other candidates who probably had a much wider appeal uh, among the ordinary people. Yeah, initially, I think you're absolutely right until, okay, yeah, I got to hit this. You know, we'll, we'll conclude on uh, in our sure. short segment at the end in just a moment. If you could thank you for staying. Uh, that was my way of saying, can you stay? I love it. Brandon has Irish charm. You can elicit from him the answer yes before the question is finished. I love that about him. He's probably not Irish, but... He has the Irish culture in him a little bit. I'm not Irish either, but I got it in me. As they say, only in America. We'll be right back. <laughs> if you are looking for a remarkable investment opportunity, check out my friends at YRefi. InvestYRefi.com is the website. The word invest, the letter Y, and then R-E-F-Y.com. They have a fixed, no-load interest rate they are offering up to you with up to 10.25% return for investors, all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. YRefi is a due diligence-approved firm where investors do really well by doing good for others, and you can be too. You can call them at 855-316-3087 or check them out at investyrefi.com. The author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, and just about out, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy, which you can order online, uh, pre-order online, uh, is been Brandon J. Weichert, our guest this hour. Brandon, end, end, um, end the show with us on China, if you don't mind, yeah. because yeah. I have a feeling that this is going to be our next uh, twilight struggle. Yes, it certainly is. And as I alluded to earlier in the program, I fundamentally believe, and I hope I'm wrong, that the Chinese are readying to invade Taiwan as early as this fall, maybe even earlier if Pelosi ends up going over there and really wrangling them. Uh, China believes we are weak. China believes we are too distracted for our own good. They feel that our military is, is stretched to its breaking point and that it is out of position. When you look at and read the Chinese uh, strategists and what they're talking about and what they're writing about, 
you quickly realize there's an eerie similarity between what they're saying today and what Nazi leaders were saying and what the Japanese leaders were saying in World War II about America, about Britain. And whenever you have enemies who have, in China's case, like the Nazis in particular, but also the Japanese in World War II, when you have a Chinese or a, a rival nation that is technologically advanced and very wealthy with a very smart population that are hard workers, and they think that America's weak, and they have problems with us already, they're going to push for some change to the circumstance. And that usually push comes in the form of a military you know, conflict. And so I believe we are staring down very soon a major direct confrontation with the People's Republic of China, who are the most advanced technologically uh, uh, enemy that we have faced probably in 80 years. Uh, they, they are extremely robust. And, and for what I'm talking about, there's a great book from 2001 by Nick Cook, uh, formerly of the James Defense Weekly, called The Hunt for Zero Point. I highly recommend people read it. He gets into the history of Operation Paperclip. And when you read the first few chapters of that book, you realize just how technologically advanced the Nazis were and how if they had mass production capabilities in the war, they probably would have beat the Americans and Brits. China today is advanced technologically, and they have mass production capabilities. And that should scare us all. I have no idea how purblind one has to be not to see this. The country that speaks that way, the country that militarily acts that way, the country that has returned racialism to public policy and uses concentration camps. I, I just don't know how people can't see this. But people choose to live in blinders. And, Brandon, that's why uh, we keep you around for the Enlightenment. Bless you, sir. Godspeed. Until next week, Brandon J. Weikert. Thank, thank you very much. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.